Good job, boys. Pick up your checks on the way out. When I was in college, I was in a band, and um, we, we played silly places, which happens. You know, when you're in a college band, you don't start out playing the arenas. And, um, and, and we found out, you know, I was, I was 18, our drummer was 18, he's my wife's cousin, and, uh, and the other two guys were 30. We thought they were way old. And... Um, and, and I found out after about our, I don't know, 10th concert that we did, I found out we had been being paid. That's why they're 30. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, they're like 18, yeah, we, we want you in the band. We need you in the band. <laughs> All right, so... Um, uh, I'll, I'll let you know where we're going here in a second because I, I don't want you to get ahead of me um, scripturally. What, what would you say is the things... Let, let's stay within the church in America because the church in general would be too difficult for us to do this and, and too difficult to assess or whatever. But um, what would you say would be the, the um, biggest... Problems within the church right now. Disunity. Disunity. What else did you say? Ego. Ego. Mike. Trying to fit in. What would you say, Joy? Self-righteousness. Pleasing the masses. Who are the masses? Okay. Were you going to say something? Kind of, that's kind of pleasing the masses, would you? Okay. What'd you say? Playing. Playing church. Okay. Yeah, being, being woke. I, I saw a great little meme the other day of a, like a little, um, uh, what, is the, what is the little dogs that was on um, Men in Black? Pug, pug. I saw a little pug standing up on a, on a shelf or something like that. And said, this is what old men look like when they try to wear skinny jeans. <laughs> I thought, pretty good description. Um, what else? Um, maybe complacency, just being part of the same old, same old. Lack of prayer. What would you say? Lack of prayer. Lack of prayer. Yeah. Of w- wouldn't you say the lack of prayer is probably the reason for most of the rest of this stuff? Right. Denying the power of God. Um, I had a 
good conversation with my oldest. Um, so he's a children's pastor, so he thinks ministry. And, um, and uh, he, he made a pretty good statement to me. This was today, I think. He made a pretty good statement to me. He just turned 27 last two weeks, a week and a half ago. And uh, yeah, it's, it, makes, it makes somebody else feel old. But uh, he, he, uh, he said this statement, which was, which was huge, because I, it would be difficult to explain all the background coming up to this point. But he said, he said, you know, Dad, I'm not, I'm not as um, frustrated with the church in a general sense, which he used to always be, always frustrated with the church, always frustrated, specifically older people. <laughs> he thinks the, the reason the church isn't moving forward is older people. And I told him, I said, you know, that, that, there may be some truth to that. I can't totally disagree with that, except the only reason you have salaries is because of older people. So process that a little bit uh, in the mix. But, uh, but he's always frustrated with the church, frustrated. And he told me today, he said, you know, I'm not really frustrated with the church. He said, he said, I think for the most part, the church really tries to do the right thing. I thought, I think he's right. I think the church does try to do the right thing. But all of these things you guys just said are true. So, so where do we balance that? I believe that the body of Christ is really trying to do the right thing, but we are plagued with a bunch of issues, stuff, and let me add to it, that I believe keep us from doing the real right thing rather than the socially right thing. So if the church is trying to do the right thing, but we end up doing the socially accepted thing, which is not the right thing, by the way. Okay? And it never is. And any time in history, you just drop down into history at any time, and, the, and there is a tension going on in the church, the exact same tension, always. This, this, is, this is why we have the book, First and Second uh, Corinthians, both of those books. Because Paul is pushing against... In fact, one of the biggest things that Paul is pushing against in Corinthians is Gnosticism. And we are struggling with Gnosticism right now as much as anything else in society. And Paul was pushing against it 2,000 years ago. So if the body of Christ is mostly doing what, wanting to do what is the right thing, but they're doing what is the socially right thing and not the biblically right or the Jesus called right thing, why? Why is there a gap there? I think there's a, a few basic reasons. We could probably add a bunch, but I think there's a few basic reasons. What would you think they are? Okay, I, I do think there's always going to be laziness within humanity, right? But I don't really think laziness, that is always a problem. But I don't think laziness is the priority of problem. I think it's a result of something. Okay, but I think you changed the subject on me. Okay, so let me go back. I'm, I'm not picking on you. I'm, I'm, you're going where I want you to go, but, but here's the thing. 
So the body of Christ is trying, for the most part, I believe their intentions are right, they're trying to do the right thing. But they're doing the, the, for the most part, they're doing the socially acceptable thing rather than the truly biblical right thing. So then Michael says, it's because that's uh, what gets the most socially accepted results, which, which is what they're doing, which is where we're ending up. The church ends up there most of the time. But, but you didn't answer the why. Why do we go that direction? Why do we do the social? Yes, because there's more people. But there's, there's, there's got to be a why. Because, because I said the body of Christ is trying to do the right thing. So how do we get over to the socially acceptable arena? If our desire is to do the right thing. By whom? Okay, yes. Yes, that's, that's true. So Satan is deceiving. Okay, you're, you're, you're going the right direction. Satan is deceiving the body of Christ toward the socially acceptable mentality. But how is he doing that? That is true. Satan is deceiving. But who is he deceiving to get this done? I heard something. The media? Yeah, but the media would be... The media would be the result of it. It's not the... You understand that the media doesn't set the direction for the church, right? The media is a result of what the church has been for the last 50 years. Okay? The, the media is not guiding the church. We're guiding the media. We just don't think like that because all of a sudden we wake up and the media is saying all these lies and all this other stuff. But it's, but it's because that's what we've been for so long. Yes, ma'am. Okay, the, the first sentence or two you said is the key. We have followed the leaders. That's what, that's what we have done. Now, I am not trying to overstate this because I believe this is a mindset of the church that actually needs to be attacked and to go away. But, but hang with me for a second. As she said that Satan is deceiving us. Um, I believe that Satan is, has been deceiving the leadership and the people have been following. Because the body of Christ wants to do the right thing. And here's how I know that's true. Anytime in history, you start in the New Testament, you go anytime through history, and great moves of God are when specific people said, enough is enough, we will not go the direction that we have been going, and we will, and that's where you get a reformation, that's where you get an awakening, all this kind of stuff. Now, I grew up in the South, and so we use the term revival a lot. I don't like the term revival, because revival to me says something has to be revived, in other words, this is what it is, let's bring it back to life. Well, there's not a whole lot, looking back in, the, in my short 50 years, that I want to bring back to life, okay? There's some things, but I don't want to bring stuff back to life. I want an awakening, because I believe that most of society right now doesn't have anything to revive. 
they were never there. They're, they're not re, it's not revivable. I do believe that parts of the church needs a revival, but I think it needs more like a, 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 a like a, you know, what do you call it? CPR? Yeah, but the, you know what I'm saying. Cattle prod, whatever it takes, okay? A good kick in the rear. But, but here's, the, here's the thing with that is we have been deceived for so long that we have actually bought into. And guys, you know I say this stuff all the time, but here's the reality. I can say this and say this and say this, and even sometimes as I'm saying it, I, I have been so much a part of this um, acculturation that is difficult, even though I know in my head it's difficult to play it out sometimes because we have done this for so long. A statistic I, I, I found 20 years ago and, and still quote, and I believe it's actually worse now, but I can't find anything. Nobody is doing any studies on this nowadays. I've looked at Barn. I've looked at everybody. But over 80% of all pastors, this is 20-something years ago, over 80% of all pastors have never led somebody to the Lord. Never. Now, I pick on us all the time, right? Guys, we've got to be witnessing. You've got to do this. And I know that statistically most of us in here have not ever witnessed to somebody. Or, or I would say we've talked to them about Jesus, but hadn't really brought them to a point and say, Jesus, uh, do you want to accept Jesus? Okay. But, but here's the thing is, even though I'm going to always be pushing that, I'm always going to pick, be picking on us for that, I understand that we are a product of decades and decades. Before we were cognitively processing our walk with Jesus, we, we left witnessing off the list. We just don't go there. We just don't go there. And I, and I hear good, good, I'm not picking on us, guys. Good Christians with solid prayer lives and good times in Scripture, good word life, you know, all that kind of stuff that have never witnessed to somebody because it's not part of our culture, our church culture. It's not part of it. And here's the sad thing is it's the most important part of it. It's more important. Now, hold on, because sometimes people think I'm a heretic for saying this. You becoming a witnesser is more important than your prayer life and more important than your Bible reading time. Why? Why would I say that? That's, yeah, Jesus said that. Okay. And I'm copying Jesus. So, um, well, if you're going to set a standard. But yes, Jesus did say that. But here's the thing that I found over the years is if you will become a witnessing individual... You will not have to develop a discipline of Scripture reading. You'll, you'll need it like water. You'll have to have it. Because people will talk to you and say things and ask questions and do stuff, and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, I need to, I need to read about that. I need to study about that. If, if you will become a witnessing individual... Now, now here's like, you know cart before the horse, chicken before the egg, whatever. Becoming a witnessing individual demands that you be empowered by the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is part of my argument with the church in America is we're not really all that empowered. Even the Pentecostal church, we're not all that empowered because if we were empowered by the Holy Spirit, our heart would be aching for the lost. If we were really letting the Spirit of God, whose desire, the Holy Spirit, whose one and only desire is to reveal Jesus to humanity, if we are letting Him empower us every day, and we're praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit every single day, then our hearts would be broken and, and, and hurting for lost people. 
So here's the thing, as I've watched all my life, I've watched people with solid scripture lives, solid prayer lives, but never tell anybody about Jesus. And so somewhere we're doing the disciplines as a discipline rather than as our life, our lifeblood. Okay, now I know I'm picking on all of us with this, but, but just, just own it a little bit and, and don't resist what I'm saying, okay? Don't, I, I mean, as politely as I can say this, the only reason you would resist what I'm saying right now is because there's a natural pride that rises up and says, what, what Joyce said, self-righteousness. It rises up and says, no, 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 um, my, my, my scripture time is good and I, and I need to put that first. Okay, but if nobody's getting saved, the next generation dies and you had a lot of knowledge. You have a lot of head knowledge. But the moment it goes from your head to your heart is when your heart starts hurting for lost people. When your prayer life goes from a spiritual discipline to make you feel good and it actually goes before the, to walking into the throne room and laying before the king that created your next door neighbor and his heart is hurting for them. His heart is hurting for your neighbor. And when you go and lay before him long enough, when you get up from that, your heart all of a sudden is hurting for your neighbor. Why? Because the heartbeat of God became your heartbeat. Instead of, I felt really good with that time of prayer. Right? You understand the difference in the two, what I'm talking about here? All right. Now, any questions before I go on? Statements? Pontifications? Posits? Nothing? Okay, now. Let's go to Exodus. I'm hitting wrong screens here. Exodus chapter 3. <clears throat> and uh, we're going we're to take this a little bit different trail than we normally would take this. Okay? Make sure I'm in the right. Okay, verse 13. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. This is the story of Moses, right? Moses has been out there, he committed murder and went out in the wilderness, been out in the wilderness. This is when God um, shows himself to him uh, in the bush, right? In the burning bush. Okay? Um, verse, uh, let's start with verse 11. Verse 10 says, Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God and said, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? So the first question that Moses begins to ask is, who am I? See, see this, is, this, this is where the church today starts. It's, it's normal human nature to do this, okay? Everything, this is why when Peter calls Christians peculiar people, that, that's a very important statement because when you are, the more you sell out to the Lord, the more you follow him, the more you do the things that he's asked you to do, the more you become um, peculiar, strange, a little off. Because you're following the Lord. You're not following natural human nature. Normal human nature has a sin thought, a sin foundation, a sin basis, right? That's our, that's our normal human nature. We have a propensity toward wrong, toward sin, toward self, all these other things. So the first thing Moses asks God is, who am I? I can't do this. That's almost always the question that we get, that we, that we say. That's what comes to us. It's what we get in our mind, our heart. Well, who am I? Which is, which is starting off on the wrong foot. God, God is not God under any circumstance dependent upon you. 
He's not dependent upon you. His will is not dependent upon you. Now, Him doing His will in your life is dependent upon you. But God's not dependent upon you. God doesn't have to have us as human beings. He chooses to. In fact, this is, I believe this is His big flaw. This is God's mistake. If He wants my opinion, this is His big mistake. You're putting too much dependence upon humans. Because, man, we just don't get there most of the time. Right? But here's the cool thing about it is, God knows that, still chooses us, and then does amazing things through humans. Amazing stuff. Because why? He wants to include you. This is, I haven't done a, a co-creating series in a, in a while, but, but God is a creator. On the seventh day, God what? It doesn't say God stopped. Okay? Oh, a handful of years ago, I was showing different stars and different things. And one of the things that I put on the screens was a, um, a, uh, um, uh, an, a, a nebula with like a uh, tail out in space. A nebula with like a tail, like a, like a star kind of thing with a big tail on it. And, you know, I showed the picture and I was like, oh, that's beautiful. And then... Um, I mentioned some of the statistics about it. That one star was bigger than our entire galaxy. And the, the, just the tail coming off of that one star was over 7 billion miles long. Now that is just one thing out there. Just one See, on the seventh day, God rested, and on the eighth day, what did he do? No, he didn't create the Broncos. On the eighth day, he started doing stuff again. He started creating again. He started painting in the sky. Started doing things on the earth. Started just playing around with galaxies and, and microorganisms. And just because he's a creator. That's what he is. This, this, is why, this is why us having children is such a big deal. Because that's co-creating with God. We're not the creators and we can't make life. But God gives us the, um, the exercise of creating life. Right? <laughs> and, uh, and we give it our best try. When a, when a mommy loves a daddy. <laughs> so, so God gives us... See, this is the cool thing about it. Guys, I don't think we process some of this stuff. I know maybe cognitively it's there. But we don't really internalize this sometimes. God does this amazing thing that allows us to be part of the co-creation process. Part of the, 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 the beginning of life. And he makes it fun too. Right? That's the amazing thing about it. And it's a child, and it changes your entire existence. And it's amazing. It's, it's amazingly beautiful. And, you know, I'm noticing more and more as my wife and I are getting older that we're forgetting some of the stuff that were challenging when we were parents of children smaller, right? You just forget. We're watching all of these families now with little kids, you know, one, two, three, four, five-year-old, that kind of... 
And you're like, man, they, they, they seem to make it harder than it is. It wasn't that hard. <laughs> Why? Because we, we've moved on. Um, but, it's, but it's an amazing gift. It's an amazing gift. My, my daughter FaceTimed us the other night. She's, she's uh, nannying for these families in, in Texas. And one of the families just had a brand new baby. It's like two weeks old. And she was holding the baby. And she, she FaceTimed us so we could see the baby. She said, Dad, this is the most amazing thing. I want one of these one day. I'm like, well, there's, there's a pattern to that. But, um, you know, there's just something about, and I told her, and she knows. That's why she told me, because the baby was kind of crying a little bit. To me, I think one of the most beautiful sounds is a tiny, brand new baby crying at the top of its lungs. You know, that kind of thing. I just love that. I, there's something about that that just moves my spirit. I don't know why, but it, it's powerful. That, that little baby has no clue. But all the people, the parents and grandparents, they're, they're all focused on that little baby, and God's focused on that little baby. Why? Because two people came together in God, and they helped God make a baby. And here's the thing. God didn't need no help, but he let you. He let you be a part of that. See, there is this, there's this thing that God is constantly trying to get us to focus on somebody besides us. He's constantly trying to do that. And we spend all of our time and energy focusing on us. It's so, it's so ingrained within us. Focus on us. It's the sin nature. It's the brokenness, right? It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. First question that Moses asked. God, who am I? Don't you think Moses, God is saying, Moses, you are nothing. That's not the point. The point is I'm going to do amazing things with you if you could just pull your head up and, uh, and pay attention. What are you guys laughing at? Okay. Right? Don't you, think, don't you think God thinks that stuff sometimes? Man, it's not always about you. It's, it's, I can do, I'm going to do something big to you. If you just shut your mouth and just do what I ask you to do. Moses, first question, Moses says, well, I, I don't, what, who am I? God answered, I will be with you. That should, that should have been all God had to say. I'll be with you. Moses should have said, got it, sir. Let's go. But he doesn't. So God continues, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied, the greatest, the greatest declaration in all of Scripture. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Well, the way the King James says it is, I am. The I am who I am is a great translation too, but I like the way King James says, I am. See, God does not have to qualify that statement. As people, we have to qualify that. If, if, you, if you, you know, go to a brand new job and they say, so um, you are, and you say, I am. Just leave it. Just look at them. 
<laughs> They're going to be, and you are gone. Goodbye. Thank you. But see, we have to qualify. We have to give like a name, or I am the guy that's going to do this job, or I am you know, an accountant. Or what. We have to give a qualifier. But when God says I am, he does not have to qualify it at all, because he is. He, he, he is not something. He is. He's all-encompassing. Anything you can put in there, he is. Except for sin, God is. He is the all in all. So, um, the, the question that comes to my mind, when, when, when God says this to Moses, tell him I am. Moses should just, he continues to argue, right? He continues to argue. We, we won't belabor that. Moses just, he, he, I like to pick on Moses here, but aren't we the same? Aren't we the same here? God says, I am, and we begin to question. Um, you am big enough to do this for me, God? Think about, think about the last two or three major issues in your life. Which one of those issues eclipsed the power of God? I'm not saying God did or didn't do something. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying just take the issue and, and isolate it and say, is God big enough to to, is he the I am over that issue? Is, 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 I mean, we know the answer in our minds, but it's so difficult to get into our heart. We do the same thing Moses does. Yeah, but God, what about this? What about this? And, you know, I, I, I've been um, talking with a pastor recently that is considering um, um, resigning from his church. And he doesn't know for sure, and so... You know, he's been talking to me about what what is it what, what you know what does it look like when you transition? How did you know at this time or this time? And I told him, I said first, right up front, I, I'm not the guy to ask about this. Of all the things I do in my life, transitioning from a church to another church, I do the worst. I am horrible at that because I struggle. I drag my feet. I argue with God. I'm 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 wondering. I'm processing. And, and I was explaining to this pastor, when I left Strasburg and came to here, I said, one of the big things that I was struggling with is that I had been in Strasburg more than twice as long as anywhere I had ever lived in my life. Ever. It was, it was more of a connected family home thing than anything I had ever experienced in my life. And almost everybody in that church had started going to that church after I became the pastor. And then one day to say to them, um, I believe that God is telling me to go somewhere else. She did know. I know. L Linda's the first person that called us. In fact, Randy, our previous pastor, he told me one time, he said, he said, you know that Linda called you before I finished saying I'm resigning. I'm like, is what it is, bro. But, uh, but, but it was difficult. It was so difficult on me because I'm telling people that I, I love at the core of my soul. I'm sorry, God is saying we've got to do something else. I'd never experienced it like that before. It's difficult. And I told this other pastor, I said, look, I'm not the guy to ask. I don't do this well. I second guess every... But it, now, my wife gets on board very quickly. In fact, she was on board the slowest in the transition from Strasbourg to here. And we haven't moved around a lot. We just haven't. But, but um, she was even hesitating a little bit. 
But she always is on board immediately. And she knows, she knows we're leaving. She knows where we're going. You know, that stuff ticks me off. That makes me very angry at her. Do you, I mean, do you guys understand what I'm saying? When, when she's, when, when I, see, she doesn't say it. She did the first, like, when we were 21. You know, she would say, I think we're supposed to go. And I'd be like, I hate you. So, um, but the last couple of transitions, this is over 20 years, right? Two transitions. Um, she just, she won't say anything. She just look at me with that. I know what God's told me, look. You pagan, you know. And it cuts me. Because Why? I'm doing exactly what Moses does. I'm protesting. I'm protesting, God, this, and what about this? And are, are we sure we want to do this? And, and, you know, uproot our children. I mean, all the things that you'll throw in the mix. We, we have so many reasons why we can't do what God has told us to do. Children is a big one. I've heard so many people use children as a reason over the years. Well, we can't do that. What about the kids? We can't be a, a missionary in that country. What about our children? Like God's going, what? You've got kids? Well, let me look at that again. Huh. Didn't know you had kids. Right? Guys, God knows everything. God knows everything. So when God says, he's the I am. Let me ask you this question. Give me something that you, tell me something that you have accomplished in your life. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. Tell us. It's not. You have two kids? Okay. Yeah. That's also another accomplishment. I didn't kill him. You got married? Overcame an addiction to alcohol? What else? You guys have accomplished some things. Successful business, over 20 years. Successful business a lady. You know, in Mexico, in Mexico, everywhere you went, they, were, they would call Linda lady. They were, they, in their head, they were thinking they were being respectful. But they'd say, hey, over here, lady. <laughs> so I started doing it. Hey, lady. Um, became lieutenant colonel. That's an accomplishment. It's not a colonel, but <laughs> ouch. <laughs> What's accomplishment? Come on, do you guys tell me some accomplishments? Got a master's degree. Got a PhD. PhD. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> I got four PhDs. Ha. <laughs> What's that? 35 years of marriage? That's huge. And they have also stayed alive. I see that more as uh, grace on Didi's part. What's something else? What's some things you've accomplished? Started a, a, a children's museum. My wife's a district official. Roy wrote a book. There's all kinds of stuff going on in this room, right? I'm a doctor. I'm a proctologist. I am. My name's Bottoms. 
When people see Dr. Bottoms, shouldn't you be a proctologist? <laughs> Doesn't it work? All right. So, so here's the thing that I, that I have realized over the years. Now, there's, I think there's a balance here, and I think this is important for us, is <clears throat> in everything that we've talked about, and in the, in the hundreds and hundreds of other things in each of our individual lives, because there's a lot of stuff. If you just begin to sit down and, and, and like, like make a resume, but for a resume for a job you don't have any clue about, so you need to include everything that's, that you've ever done. How much of it did you do and how much did God do? How much are you responsible? Now, here's the simple answer. You are not responsible for any of it without God. None of it. Even if you're not a Christian, you're not responsible. You didn't do it all by yourself. That's the only thing it's one of the stupidest things Obama ever said when he was a president, but it's one of the wisest things when it comes to a Christian. When he said to society, well, you didn't build that. You did build your business. You did do that. That's not what I'm talking about. But here's the thing is once you take it out of the arena of let's try to be socialist country, take that off the table, and you put it into the concept of the kingdom of God, you didn't do anything by yourself. You did it with God. And, and I would like to see, on a percentage basis, what percent God was and what percent you were. All right? And I don't know if there's... It's not like, well, God was 99 and I was 1. I don't think that. I think you really do a lot. You know, as human beings, we push forward. That's why some people are very successful business people and some people are not. Because there's some natural gifting and stuff, but sometimes there's just, I'm going to stick to it and get the job done. You know, I'm going to... I'm going to work seven days a week and, and almost every hour of all those days kind of thing. Um, but how much of it do you, are you responsible for accomplishing and how much is God responsible for accomplishing? I would say you'd be hard-pressed to come, I, if I think it's impossible, but I think your mind might start to say it's possible at first until you really process it. I don't think you can come up with anything that you can do by yourself. I, I don't think it exists. Take something very mundane and rote. Getting out of bed. Well, I can do that by myself. Can you? I just visited Harry in the hospital this week because he had a TIA, which is like another small stroke. Although it's not really what it is, but it's similar. He can't get out of bed by himself. He was doing good. He was walking. He was doing all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and it backed them up. And, and in fact, they're going to be moving to South Carolina to a place where they can get in and, and have better things. And they, they may need some of our help. We're going to be talking to you about that in the next week or so. They may need some of our, they are going to need our help helping them pack some things up and move and stuff like that. But I was thinking, you know, I think sometimes we take things like, well, I can get out of bed in the morning. I think we take that stuff for granted. Right? Just breathing. Yes. Guys, I really do, and, I, and I'm not trying to oversimplify this. I really do believe that that is a gift from God, and we don't think about that stuff regularly. We don't think how blessed we are on a regular basis. Here's one of the things. I know I, I usually pick on this, but guys, get outside of America and go to some third world countries. 
And you will realize about 95% of your existence is extra fluff. It is. It's just extra. And, and, we, and we take it for granted. We take for granted our lives and our, and our income and all this other stuff. I, I was having a conversation about this right before we went to Mexico. And, and there was somebody after we got back. The idea of poverty in America is such a joke. It is such a, and, and I get picked on anytime I say, no, there's real poverty in America. Okay, the, the poorest of the poor in America have cell phones. Okay? I know there's some legitimate poverty. I'm not taking that off the table. But go to other places on the planet and you'll see poverty. There's, there's, there's at least three states right now in the United States that are working on this. They're, they're, um, Florida I know is one, and Texas I know is one, and there's another one around, I can't think off the top of my head. But they, uh, Montana is, is one, um, but they are backing off all of the uh, unemployment benefits that are being given out right now. Do you know why? Because business owners can't get anybody to work for them. Because it's, it's, you make more living off the government doing absolutely nothing. Which is, which is disgusting to me. Guys, get out there and work. How hard is that? Lynn and I, when we were the poorest that we were, and we were poor, I was working a couple extra jobs. I was, I was actually writing some stuff today about this, going back in some of those times in my life and writing down some stuff. And thinking about, it, we would lay in our, in our bed. We, we lived in this old farmhouse, over 100 years old. It's the only thing we could afford. And um, I was pastoring the church. The church was small. We'd only been there about a year. It started growing. We got raises after that and stuff. But it was very difficult at first. I'm working a couple extra jobs. I'm pouring concrete. I'm roofing houses. I'm doing stuff on the side. I'm blocking masonry, all kinds of stuff. And we would lay in bed at night and listen to animals running through the walls in our house. Now, here's the weird thing. If you ask my boys about it, they're like, Dad, that was the coolest house ever. No. When we moved in, the front living room, you could stick your hand out. There was a cracks under the window sills. Window sills were wood and all the adobe and stuff. was. The walls were like a foot thick. You could stick your hand all the way out to the outside. So we just stuffed newspaper and all kinds of stuff in there to try to keep it from, you know, birds flying into the house. But, but here's the thing. We, we were on wick. You know what that is? Peanut butter, milk, cheese, beans. We were on wick. We, we couldn't afford, it was very difficult for us to afford to, to put food on the table. And then, yes, we'd put the bags of beans in the cabinet and the mice would eat them. We'd open up the cabinet and all the food we had just put in there, growing the grocery store, spending every little penny we had, the mice had eaten the food. Linda built a little mousetrap one time. It caught 25 mice in one 24-hour period. It was, it was really pretty ingenious. She's, I don't know where she got it, but it was a five-gallon bucket, filled up by half full of water, put a wire across the top of the tomato can on it, put peanut butter all over the tomato can. Mice on it, rolls, spins them into the water, and they drown. And you dump them out, start all over. She's ingenious. Farmer. Well, here's the thing with that. We were on WIC at the time. We would have people come to our house, knock on our door, and ask us to, take, to get on welfare. They would ask us, beg us to get on welfare. And I told them, I'm not doing it. 
I don't care how bad it gets. And I had people berate me for this. Well, but you've got to take care of those kiddos. Okay, I'll get another job. But I'm not going to do welfare. Because I believe the moment you get on welfare, you are potentially locking yourself in and you can't ever get out. Which, by the way, is the design of welfare. Guys, there's something about saying, okay, I can do this. Because why? Not because you can. But because God will give you the ability. God will give you the ability. God, God will tell you what to do and how to do it. And here's the thing. This was some of the story I was writing about this today was, and I don't have time to tell this part of the story tonight, but God had showed us 100% for sure we were supposed to be pastors of that church. There was no doubt about that. So here's the thing. A year later, we're struggling to pay the bills. We're struggling to put food on the table. But I knew that God had told us to go there. I knew that God had told us to go there. In fact, I'll tell you something. This is in no way negative toward my grandfather. Um, He just didn't see it the same way, okay? But he came to visit us right around that time. And we were driving. He wanted to drive down some dirt roads because he liked to pick up rocks. <laughs> and so he, he asked me, where's some rocks? You'd have to know him. But we, we were looking for rocks. And so we're driving down this, and then out in the field was a tractor. And he said, do you like that tractor? It's like, yeah, that's a cool tractor. He said, you should get a tractor. Why? I'm not a farmer. I don't, I like the tractor, but I'm not sure I know how to run it. <laughs> He said, you should get a tractor. I said, why? And he said, if this pastoring thing doesn't work out, you can always farm. And he doesn't know, he was one of my favorite people on the planet, okay? But he doesn't know, man, that, that was not a good time in my life to say that. Because it, it hurt. First, I was really wondering. I didn't have the, I didn't have the guts, and I'm not a shy person, but it, I didn't want to ask him because he had already been to church. I didn't, want to, I, didn't, I didn't want to ask him, Grandpa, you think I'm not doing good with this? It's not going well in your eyes? I mean, but he was just judging about the house we were living in and that kind of thing, right? And, and, I, and I, I, I thought, he just doesn't get it. I, all the other jobs I was doing was so I could pastor. It wasn't so I could be rich. I wasn't getting to that point. It was so I could pastor. Why? Because that's what God told me to do. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to do what God told me to do. One night in particular, Lynn and I prayed. This is one of the nights when we had some of the wick stuff and and she opened a cabinet and all the food had been eaten by mice. That's discouraging. When you saved up for a couple of weeks to go and buy groceries and the mice eat it. So we didn't have anything to eat. I don't mean... Nowadays, when teenagers walk in the house and go, there's nothing in this house to eat. You know, like stacks that you can't close the refrigerator door. The pantry's leaking out. We literally had nothing. And we just prayed, God, we need help. We, we just need help. I, I remember we, we went across, there was a cornfield on the other side of our, like from here to, to Nikki from our door, back door, side door, whatever. And we'd just go over to that cornfield and pick corn. The farmer said we could. We weren't breaking a law or anything. But we'd go pick corn, and one night all we had was corn. That's all we had, just corn. Which I liked and the kids liked. I don't know if Linda liked it all that much. But, but So we prayed, God, we need help. And the next morning there was groceries all over our 
porch. We didn't tell anybody. We didn't say anything. There was groceries all over our porch, bags of it. A big 80-pound bag of corn. <laughs> Some other thing, which, which was great, but we had corn, <laughs> which we didn't mind. I, I love corn on the cob. I could literally just eat that as a meal all the time. But, but God provided. Now, why am I saying all of that? Here's a couple of things that were very important for me at that time frame, and, and even the few years before that, I think these things were kind of necessary. Um, the first church I was at was very difficult ministry-wise. The, the pastor was not a good guy. He was related to me. He wasn't a good guy. He was, he was a, a dishonest guy. But, and I've had people say, well, then was it God's will that you go there? I know it was God's will that I go there. But here's some of the things I learned in there, the next few years after that, the next couple of years, and then when we became the lead pastor of this church I was talking about. Um, now, I'm, I'm probably going to surprise you with some of this. I had some rough edges that needed... To, I, I was not the smooth, polished individual that you see before you today. I had some rough edges, and, and it took... I know, looking back now, it's very obvious to me. It takes too long to explain it. But God really had to work on some things in my life. Well, some of the things he had to do at the same time, these were coupled together, was, was God was establishing stuff for me. He really had to make sure that I was completely dependent upon him. And so he took me through some things that gave potential for that to happen. And for the most part it did, but not completely, totally, all the time. I've had people really ask me about the stance that we took starting last year, coming into COVID and not closing the doors and, and not doing stuff. And they've asked me, well, that was a pretty strong stance. Weren't you worried or whatever the case is? I was not worried. I've been serving a God that is so much bigger than anything or anybody or any government or whatever. Come put me in jail. My God's still bigger than you. Now, that doesn't mean the moment the door slams, I'm like, where are you, God? You know, I may do that. But, but I'm not worried about what the government says. I'm not. Because God's took me through things way more difficult than anything that the government can do to me. And God has showed me his, his promise and his favor in those moments in ways that nobody else would recognize if I described it. But me and God know. And God has changed me in those moments and he's transformed me in those moments to the point where it's not near as difficult as it would appear from the outside for me to make certain decisions. Because I know who my God is. Now here's the thing, and this is, this is where I'm trying to get with this. That sounds like arrogance. You listen to me? That you know, you know, I've said this before. I get accused of that more than anything else on the planet. Arrogance. And, and my first thought is, you don't know anything. <clears throat> but I, I get accused of arrogance more than anything else. I really believe that I'm, I'm, I believe that I am totally honest. As much as I can possibly be, this is really honest from me, Okay. I don't think I'm arrogant. What I think, what I know in my spirit, is when God says to me, Scott, this is what you're going to tell them, whoever the them is or the circumstance or the moments, it's, it's irrelevant, all that. It's whatever is tomorrow. When you get to that moment, Scott, just tell them I am. So you know what that means? When I get to that moment... I can stand before Pharaoh 
with complete confidence that would appear to be bona fide arrogance and say, you're not bigger than my God because I know who I am is and he's the all-consuming I am and you are not. You can look Satan in the face. You can look circumstances in the face. You can look finances in the face. Now, I'm saying this a lot more strongly than I am in certain circumstances. Most circumstances, I would say I'm pretty good. But there's certain things along the way that, that you know, kind of crumble me a little bit. But, but when I come to a circumstance, as long as I know that I'm listening to God and I'm following Him, which I, which I work hard at, I can say to the moment, the circumstance, the I am put me here. You didn't. The I am gave me this moment. The I am gave me the words to say. You didn't. And you can look at anybody, anything, any circumstance. Now, it will sometimes come across as arrogance. It will. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do about that. Do you, do you think... Do you think the Israelites and Pharaoh and the Egyptians didn't think that Moses was a, a little arrogant? He's looking at the guy that in society, all of known society at that moment, was considered by himself and by all the people to be God in human flesh, Pharaoh. And he backed him down and he backed all ten of his biggest, most powerful gods down. That didn't come across as arrogant? But here's the thing, the Moses out in the wilderness was not arrogant. He was a wimp. He was, he was uh, insecure. He was worried about every little thing. He was worried about his stuttering. He was worried about who is he, all this other stuff. And God just said, Moses, just tell him I am, not you are. Don't worry about you. Tell him I am. And then just do what I've asked you to do. Don't worry about this. I, I just, just I am. And just run with that. And then Moses finally goes, oh, oh, okay, I think I can do that. Just, I am. But, but here's where, here's where there's, a, there's a tension, I think, that we struggle with in America. We've been, we've been given a definition of what humility is, which is not real humility. And so we have what I consider faux humility. I'm saying within the church, not within the country so much, because it actually is different once you get outside the church into the regular like business world and stuff like that. But we have an idea of what humility is. It's wrong. It's a faux humility. And so we act humble within the confines of our church walls and, and our Christianity and stuff like that. We act hum humble, but it's not humility and we're not humble. In reality, if we could just grab onto more every day, just a little bit more and a little bit more, if we can grab onto the reality of who God is and humble ourselves before God, then it won't be our plans and our rules and our stuff that we're imposing upon other people. That's also where arrogance can come in. Is, is, and this is where legalism comes in too. Is Well, these are the rules that I have set up and you must follow these rules. You've got to go by these rules. Why? Because they're good spiritual disciplines that you should... Uh, uh, operate in. Guys, here's the thing. As a Christian leader, here's the best thing you can ever tell somebody. Not what they should or shouldn't do, but here's what you should tell them. Just submit yourself to God. Just get before Him. Just get on your face before God. Just humble yourself before God. Just, just crawl up under his, his feathers, according to Psalms 91. Crawl up under His wings and, and, and let His truth be your shield and your, your, um, your sword. It is truth, not your truth, 
not your rules. Yes, there are spiritual disciplines. You have those in your life, and you should have those in your life, okay? And if you're mentoring people, you should be develop, helping them develop spiritual disciplines. I get that. Guys, for the most part, if we would leave all of the stuff that we're doing personally off the table and just try to get them closer to Jesus, whoever they are, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit will tell them all kinds of stuff. How do I know that? Because the Holy Spirit's done that with me over the years. Holy Spirit has worked on me more than any human being could ever work on me. And, and a lot of the rules that I've had imposed upon me over the years through church mentalities have, have been most of the time counterproductive. Not all the time, but most of the time counterproductive. But man, that depth of relationship where I just, I need Jesus. Then when you go to work, who are you working for? The I am. When you go to the grocery store, who's walking with you? The I am. No matter what you come to, what circumstance or anything, the I am is with you. So therefore, you can do what? And Scripture tells us this in the New Testament. This is the equivalent Scripture as what Moses was dealing with at the burning bush, but from the New Testament, is that, that I can do all things through Christ. All things through Christ who gives me strength. All things through Christ. Why? Because he's the I am. You say, no, that was the God the Father. It's the same. Jesus was in that burning bush too. So was the Holy Spirit. In fact, I don't think the bush is burning without the Holy Spirit. He's the fire. Go to Acts 2. He's the fire. And so the, the voice of the Lord, Jesus says, I am the I am. And then he says, through me, you can do anything. You can do anything that I put before you. If your first reaction, and by the way, this is almost always my first reaction. When God says, and I'm talking big stuff. For me personally, it's, it's weird to explain it all. I don't struggle with this in my role as pastor. I struggle with this in my role as Linda's husband. Uh, like, like a major transition. She gets it quick, I struggle. As a pastor, I don't do that. It's the opposite. I don't know why. And when it comes to church things, I get it quicker, I think, than Linda does. Just agree with me. So, so here's the thing. When it comes to those moments when you're saying, okay, God, what do you need me to do? How do you need me to do it? Well, I can do all things through Christ. If he's the one that tells you you don't have to worry about how it's going to get done, oh, you've got to plan logistics and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, if God has said it, that's it. That's it. Run with that. But what about, what about, can I, what about, guys, when we start doing that, what we are doing is we are reaching into a bucket of, of humanism, of self-indulgence, of pride, arrogance. We're reaching in that bucket and pulling out all the reasons why we might not possibly be able to do it. Because, because we are, for that, at that moment, what we are doing is we are, we are uh, supplanting, putting ourselves in front of a God. God says, Go, follow me. And we run up in front of God and say, how do I do this? And God said, I, get out of my way. That's the first problem. You're in front of me. But the reason we do that is because it's self. Self is rising to the surface and giving you all this stuff. And it starts, it starts with just true pride, just pride that this really is dependent upon me. God says, do this. And we immediately say, well, if God can't, because we think it's us. 
And God says, it has not been you from the beginning. It never was you. I'm just going to let you join in. I always think about the, um, when we're coming back at the end during the um, Battle of Armageddon and Jesus comes riding through the clouds on a white horse and we are following him on horses, probably is the way it appears in Scripture. Here, here's the thing that I've had people ask, say and you know, and allude to and stuff like that is, when I come riding and I'm going to carry the sword and I'm going to fight with the Lord in the Battle of Armageddon, aren't you ready to fight? And there were songs written about this and all kinds of, we're going to fight beside the Lord. Jesus doesn't need you fighting. He's just going to let you ride on your little Shetland pony along with him. He's riding on this big white horse out of the cloud, and you're like, you're on one of them things at the grocery store, you know, at the clouds, like, we got this, you know. The Lord, you're not fighting the battle of Armageddon. Jesus is fighting the battle of Armageddon. And it's the exact same thing today. Guys, if we can really grasp Ephesians 6... We have the sword of the Spirit, but the sword of the Spirit is what? It's God's Word. So even then, it's not our words. It's His words. He's fighting. Even when you wield the sword of the Spirit, you're not fighting. Jesus is fighting. He's the Word. You're not the Word. You're, you know, if we could really see it in a spiritual sense, you're like this tiny little cartoon character, little plastic sword going like this, and Jesus is just stomping demons in front of you. And you're like, I got this, hey, hey, you know. And there's a great little meme on one of the Jeep places I'm on. But his dad did this for his little boy. His little boy's got one of them little plastic. It's like a Barbie Jeep, but it does. It's not pink. It's for a boy, and uh, it's a little motorized battery-operated Jeep. And, and his dad is like down in a ditch with his Jeep, his full-size Wrangler like mine, and he's got this toe strap onto this tiny little plastic Jeep. And he's leaning out the window and he's telling his son, okay, pull me up. He's stuck, right? And the boy puts it in gear and this toe strap tightens up like that. And you see them little plastic wheels spinning in the grass, right? That's even going over. He's pulling a... And so his dad starts creeping. He's like, pull harder, son. And he's creeping, he's creeping. And he pulls him out of the ditch. And the boy gets out and he's jumping around. Mom, I pulled that out. And all this other stuff. I, that's, I think that's what's going on in our Christian walk. We get out of our little plastic Jeep like, woo, look what I did. Guys, God's the one doing it. He's the I am. So what do we need to do? We get in our little plastic Jeep and we pull with everything we got. And it's amazing how God will do just big things. You can walk right up to Pharaoh and back him down by the power of God. You can walk right up to the government. You can walk right up to any situation, entities, or anything. I, I, I really believe um, with Christy and Russell, the, the letter that they sent to the state and all that, and they backed off, I think this is an example of that. They walked right up to Pharaoh and said, you're, you're not going to do this. And and, and the government backed down. I, I know I keep saying that. It's a little thing. But, it, but if every, every one of us, I'm not just saying in our church, okay? We're, we're small in comparison. But if everybody in Colorado Springs would just stop wearing masks, just don't wear them. It would take about one day. And, and Colorado Springs would crumble. I mean, you, you would still have Whole Foods, Right, not letting you in. But everybody else would crumble. And, and I, I know that. I know it to be true. I know it with everything in me that's the truth. 
But we just can't do it. We won't do it. We're scared. We're worried. We just are. Again, I don't wear my mask anywhere. I even stopped wearing it in the place that I work out. That place is pretty liberal. And uh, yesterday I was working out. I didn't have my mask on. Pretty soon five other people didn't. Ten other people didn't. I looked around and pretty soon there was like one dude with a mask on. Everybody else. And I thought, everybody's just tired of this. We know it's a joke and they're tired of it. And there's lifetime. The place I work out, people all over the place. Walking around. And they're, they're wearing their mask, but they're not saying they don't care. Nobody's wearing a mask. And I don't, I don't want to say I'm the catalyst, but I think I was. Because everybody was wearing a mask when I walked in there. When I walked out, nobody's wearing a mask. Now, I know they probably want to be a lot like me because I'm pretty buff. <laughs> All right, we'll end on that. How do you think we should pray about this? How should we pray? Help me. What'd you say? Yeah, help me get out of your way, God. That's a great place to start. Help me get out of your way. The steps of a righteous person are ordered by God. In my head, I'm seeing footprints. Right? That means God's already been there. All you got to do is follow the footprints. He's already way ahead. Just follow the footprints. How else should we pray? What's God stirring in your heart? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to believe. I pray this every day. God, I just want to see you bigger than you are. I mean bigger than I see you. You know what I mean. I want to see you bigger. Help me, help me to know you're the I am. In all circumstances, not just the ones I've got worked out. Help me to see you as the I am over everything, right? So as we pray, talk to God about that. Help me sleep tonight. But talk to him a little bit. We're just going to spend a minute, but talk to him a little bit, okay? Let's pray. God, we just submit ourselves in this moment to you. God, I believe that you are the I am. I know you are. But I need to believe it in my spirit. I need to believe it down deep within my existence. That you're the I am. That, that, that you eclipse everything. <clears throat> and that Jesus, that, that there's nothing too difficult for you. Help me to realize I can do all things through you, Jesus. So Lord, open our spirit, open our eyes. Help us to, help us to see past now and, and the moments that we're dealing with. Help us to see you. Help us to see how big you are. Lord, regardless of what, what we're going to deal with tomorrow, you're the I am. Regardless of what the government says, you're the I am. Regardless of what the bank says, you're the I am. Our job says, you're the I am. Lord, regardless of what the doctor says, you're the I am. You're the everything. So Lord, help me with my unbelief. Help me with my, my hesitance, my protests, my struggles.
my pride, my resistance. God, help me to, to get my eyes off of me and get them fastened securely upon you and to know that you're the everything, that you're the everything. In Jesus' name. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. And God, help us as, as your people to, to get away from the socially accepted mentalities and get to the realities. The truth of you, the truth of your amazingness and your, your gospel, your power, your presence. Lord, help us to get on our face before you and just seek you. Help us to be the witness that we're supposed to be every day, all day, every day. Jesus' name. We thank you. Lord, we ask you to, to give us favor with the city. Give us favor with the bank. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Guys, don't forget, Saturday, Friday, Saturday is the intensive. Um, Stephen's here. He's at the back back there. Talk to him. Uh, if you are interested in going that, we, we really want you to be at that, okay? Please consider that. We'll see you then or we'll see you Sunday morning. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs>